0: And amen. Yes, we'll open those Bibles to the Gospel of Luke once again. And we are in chapter 7. And we're going to begin reading in verse 36 through the end of that chapter. Again, the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 7 and verse 36. Uh, We are continuing our exposition of Luke. And in reality, this is the the second part of a a sermon that I preached uh, several times. Uh, Weeks ago, uh, I told you that that sometimes it's hard to divide up uh, portions of Scripture to uh, preach them. And so I I think if you look at chapter 7, there's kind of an overarching flow that, that goes together that I'll try to point out as we go forward today. I suspect that if we were to go back to the month of February, I guess that's ancient history for many of you, But many of us who are believers would have taken for granted this privilege of gathering together in God's house as God's people for God's purpose. Uh, We would have uh, simply thought, okay, this is our rite, this is our ritual, this is what we do. But as we have seen in these last few weeks, And maybe come to understand in a more profound and a a deeper way, it is a privilege. And it is a necessary privilege. Sometimes uh, some of the more popular preachers have made the case of the church being an essential service. And I say, Amen. It is an essential service and this is an essential thing. If we are to be robustly the people of God, a part of that growth to great spiritual health and great spiritual vitality will include the regular assembling of ourselves together for the sake of the proclamation of the truth, for the praise of the Savior, and our participation in this we remember as the Lord's Supper. So indeed, this is a special day. I believe all Lord's Day are special. All opportunities to gather as his people are, are special. As I say, we, we do look back on the accomplishment of Christ, but this assembly is a foretaste of eternity. We will one day be gathered at a place in His presence to experience the absolute perfection, the consummation of God's eternal plan. And so as we think this morning, and I think if I could just hammer home this one thing as we prepare our hearts for the reception of the Lord's Supper, would be this, our sins which are many are forgiven read with me one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table and behold A woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet and with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. And now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and another 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them would you, will love him more? And Simon answered, well, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. And then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Pray with me if you will. Father, we thank you for your word. For it is your word. It has been preserved for us. For our instruction. For our encouragement. For for the nurturing of our faith. And so Lord, I pray that your word would accomplish its purpose in our lives here today. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We come to this story, and as I've said, it, 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 it fits together with the entirety of what in our translations is a chapter. Chapter 7. Uh, we, we see uh, the account of, of the faith that was kind of unlikely in the life of a centurion. And, and we see Jesus manifesting His great power in raising one from the dead. And, and then we're kind of shocked when we hear that John the Baptist is having some questions because of the circumstances of his life Has he aligned himself with the right one. And so those stories seem to prepare us to, to hear this powerful and beautiful story in which instructs us in the the realities that Jesus Christ desires to extend His grace to all people at every strata of society and as much as, again, that grace is an offer of Almighty God this story also warns us it's a profound warning And I think it's a warning that's applicable to all of us regarding the danger of presumption of spiritual pride of being all about religion and or spirituality but yet you miss the reality of the one who can forgive sin. And so we look at what I call a a poignant story. That is, it is a a story that is evocative. It it touches us when we read this account. And and like all stories, it it has a, a context and a setting and it has character and plot and conflict and theme and resolution. That means it's well designed. You remember what Luke told us. I'm going to write for you an orderly account. I've got a a purpose and a methodology in mind by which I'm going to instruct you, Theophilus, so that you can get these things straight. That you can understand the affirmations, the confessions that we are making regarding this man, Jesus Christ. And so this fits into his larger project of revealing the identity of, of our Lord. And so there, there's a, a context both in terms of, uh, of the literary context. If you'll just look back just for a moment into uh, the end of uh, the, the story of John the Baptist, say verse 33, 34, 35 there in chapter 7. This seems to illustrate Jesus' point in, in that he indicts the, the Pharisees in particular, but that probably the entirety of the culture, in that you didn't like John the Baptist, you didn't like his message, you didn't like his ways, and now you don't like me. And in fact, you accuse me of being one that, that fellowships with sinners and even indict me as a glutton and a drunken, a drunkard. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. Well, guess what? You're right. You're right. I am a friend of tax collectors and and sinners, indeed, that's who I came to reconcile to myself. I didn't come to to to, to reconcile the pompously religion I, religious. I came to reconcile those who know the greatness and the depth of their sin. And so this this appears again with a certain context, a certain flow forward uh, in stating who Jesus is and what he came to accomplish. And then, really the story, like all other stories, doesn't make much sense, or maybe lacks some of its punch, if we don't understand the the nature of the culture in first century Palestine. In that, to be invited into someone's home and to enjoy Tava Fellowship, it was was a statement of your acceptance and affirmation. But the irony of this story is what? The Pharisees weren't affirming and accepting Jesus Christ. What they were doing was being deceitful. They were still trying, even at this early date of the Galilean ministry, they were still trying to undermine the Lord Jesus Christ. And so again, there's a a real irony going on here that Jesus is going, and as we can see in the story, He knows why He's there. He knows what they're thinking and what they're trying to do. And that when there was this type of uh, table fellowship, typically in an average Palestinian home, there would have been uh, possibly a, an, a courtyard or a patio uh, at which they would eat. And that it was an acceptable thing for if someone to come by. And if you were enjoying a meal, they could actually come and stand along the walls and they could listen to the conversation that was taking place at the table. See, for us, this woman is a, a tremendous interruption and distraction. If, someone were, if you were having a, a, a dinner party at your home, and I was to show up uninvited, you might not even let me in the door. And that would be a social faux pas on my part, would it not? But uh, at any rate, at this time, that was an acceptable thing except for one thing and again that is the reality of who this woman is what she does and so we have three characters here we have Jesus and we have the pharisee which he kind of plays the role that pharisees play throughout the new testament just put it in my vernacular he's a jerk okay he he is a pompous and self-righteous bone, okay? I'll say it. All right. That, who, who is it that says bone? I forget who, who gave me that one. But anyway, so we see the Pharisee. And, and some, in some way, the, the Pharisee is kind of what we call a flat character. He's just there. He does what Pharisees do. do. And Jesus is fairly static. But we get kind of shocked by this woman, because she is identified as a sinner. Over the course of the interpretation of the passage, there's been many that have said that she was quite likely a prostitute. Now, that is not spelled out in the text. Uh, uh, Could be. Might be she was just a gossip. Might be she was just a busybody. That's a great sin, too, you know. Maybe she was envious or bitter. We don't know, but she at least had the reputation of being a great sinner. And so we see the the plot unfold. We understand the invitation that is extended uh, to Jesus. And Jesus comes and He takes His place. And this woman pops into the story, having brought this flask of expensive Ointment. And, and we're told that, that as she comes and she recognizes who Jesus is and here's I believe most commentators will say the, the, the way the verbs are used in the passage it is quite likely she had already encountered Jesus she had already trusted in Jesus she already knew what it was to have her sins forgiven And so as she sat there and once again she heard the words of her Lord and she recognized that that in Him her sins were forgiven, she began to weep. She began to weep. Maybe maybe tears of joy. Maybe tears of bitterness over the lost years, over over the ways she had been hurt and how she had hurt others. We don't know, but she began to weep. And she began to express her devotion to her Lord by kissing His feet. By wiping the tears from her feet with her hair. And then we're told that the, the Pharisee began to think, ha, there's no way this man is a prophet. I wouldn't let this woman, I wouldn't let this woman touch me. I wouldn't let her get within six feet of me, much less spend 15 minutes with me. Y'all didn't get that, did you? But he thinks to himself, hmm, if Jesus were even a prophet, he would have recognized who was touching him. And then, bang! Jesus. Can you imagine the embarrassment of the Pharisee? Jesus knew what the Pharisee was thinking, and he addresses what he was thinking. Not what he said, but what he thought. How would you like to have dinner with somebody that knew what you were thinking? Yeah, you get it. You get it. I mean, how many times... Now, I say it too much, but y'all are a lot nicer folks than I am. But do you know how many times a day I think, what an idiot. You know? I'm glad, I'm glad people can't read, read my mind. So... Jesus addresses that which he is thinking and tells him a little parable about the nature of debt. And when a a person is forgiven a great debt, he experiences a greater sense of relief, a greater sense of devotion toward that person who had released them from the obligation of the debt. Something that Simon the Pharisee had to acknowledge. And so Jesus drives his point home there in verse 44, do you you see this woman, Simon? Now, you've understood the point of my little parable. And here's the thing. You did not extend to me any of the customary hospitalities of the day. You, in fact, slighted me. You didn't welcome me, me with a kiss. You didn't provide for the cleansing of my feet. In fact, you probably thought it was my privilege to be with you, not your privilege to be with me. And so, but yet, this woman, she has been persistent and she has been consistent in in doing for me that which you did not do. She anointed where you didn't and she washed where you didn't. And here's the result, Simon. Here's the upshot. Verse 47. Therefore... Wherefore, the therefore, because of what this woman has experienced, not because of what she's done, but what she's experienced, namely the grace of God, the salvation that she's, has been wrought in her heart, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. And oh boy, now we've, we know enough, we've, we've, we've been through enough gospel accounts this year to, to know. That's a hot button. That's a hot button. When Jesus Christ pronounces one's sins are forgiven, He is making the very definitive and very clear statement. I am God, and I, like my Heavenly Father, have the prerogative in terms of forgiving sins. And so on the basis of His authority and looking forward to what He will accomplish on the cross, He sends her away to enjoy The peace of the salvation that he will soon earn on the cross of Calvary. And so we see that the story has a a plot. It has some twists. It rises and falls. It's a good story. There's a conflict. I wish, no, I shouldn't wish because it's not there and it's not there for a reason. So I don't need to wish this. But do I suspect the woman may have paused outside the door. Should I enter? Given who I am and where I have been, should I publicly associate myself with this man, Jesus, who I have come to love? Maybe she experienced some inner conflict, but the conflict we know about is what? The conflict that will continue from the early days of the Galilean ministry to the end of the Judean ministry, namely the the conflict with the Pharisees and other religious authorities. And we've been in conflict with them before then and until this day. The pompously religious, the presumptively spiritual will always stand in opposition to the gospel of God's truth. They're always a problem. And so, there's great themes here of of grace and forgiveness and faith. But again, I think the point of the story is a warning about presumption and pride. Beware. In fact, maybe the, 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 the reality is, make sure you identify yourselves with the woman and not with Pharisee. There's there's a lot of discussion these days about what I self-identify as. (laughs) You better self-identify with the woman. Okay. All right. So we have a, a resolution in a sense. Go in peace. Your sins are forgiven. That's a happy ending. Not so much for the Pharisees. And, and it seems like, and those of you who know anything about Greek tragedy, it seems like the, the ensemble of the Pharisees was kind of functioning like a Greek chorus. there in the background kind of murmuring and murmuring, who's this guy think he is? Who in the world does he think he is forgiving sins? And so that is a bit open-ended. So we have this poignant and powerful and evocative story and we see in it a powerful contrast of, of a woman who approaches her Savior and engages in an activity that expresses her attitude, or, or adoration and her worship and she, and, and she embodies an attitude of humility. And she receives the most cherished of addresses from our Lord Jesus. Your sins, which are many, are forgiven what great good news what an appropriate word for our celebration here today your sins which are many my sins are many and in Christ they are forgiven and they stand in contrast to the where she had certainty the Pharisee had some doubt if this man were a prophet now it's one thing to have an honest doubt it's quite another to have a hostile doubt if this man was a prophet, well, let me tell you something, he's more than a prophet. He's the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And we see a contrast in, again, her humility and her willingness to serve her Savior. Her, her, her willingness to, to humble herself to that lowly activity of the lowest servant in a household, namely to wash the feet of Jesus Christ we again see her act of service in contrast to his inhospitali- inhospitality again he failed in his duties as a, a host and where she came and took the initiative to express her love just a, a small point of, of application again to, to do this type of thing this type of service was pretty much the lowest rung on the socioeconomic ladder to wash someone's feet. But it certainly was received as a great act of service and a testimony of faith and a recognition of who Jesus was, and it was well regarded. And so many times we think we must do something that is great and is recognized and applauded by the many. No, no. We do even the most simple of acts in the name of bringing honor and glory to our Savior, Jesus Christ. In in service to Him, even the smallest, most seemingly insignificant things have eternal value. And of course, we see in these Pharisees their consternation. Where the woman leaves rejoicing. Jesus says, go in peace. And I think she did. And I think we can assume she went away in joy. Where the Pharisees did what? They persisted in their aggravated attitude of assault upon the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so this is a... A poignant, a powerful and a beautiful story and we we can see kind of the point being a a contrast between one whose sins are forgiven and one who's going to remain in their sins. And then finally, we see some permanent implications. That is, you see the discernment on the part of the woman. She comes to the right person at the right time in the right way. Pretty good. She she discerns that Jesus is exactly who He says He is and He can do exactly what He says He can do. That's discernment. That's something today as we come to to the Lord's table, we discern, we have decided that in Him indeed our sins, which are many, are forgiven. And we come on the basis of repentance and faith. Now... Kind of in typical evangelical churches, repentance and faith is thought, about, thought of and kind of talk, talked about in terms of well, I did that. just a, just a one I, I remember when I did that. Well, folks, if all you got is a, a memory of having done that, and you're not still doing it, it was probably a blank. You, you, you probably shot without no powder, okay. Because initial repentance and faith will always, unfailingly, reproduce itself in a life of continued repentance and faith. We come here today in repentance and faith. In the name of forsaking our sin, of being honest about our sin. My sin, as refined and acceptable as they are, are many. And in Him we find forgiveness. And we come humbly. This woman comes. She didn't make a big show. You know, we live in the day of what I call chatty Christianity. Verbose Christianity. Boastful Christianity. She just came and did. Just remained quiet. She was humble. She knew who she was. She didn't interrupt. She didn't make a scene. Jesus is the one who really made the scene. And so she comes in a sense of humility and a a sense of reverence, desiring to do what? To express her love. Out of the many things that we do when we gather together, and it, it is multifaceted, okay? When we get up and show up, it is a statement, my Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. For thee, all the folly of sin, I resign. Again, for forsaking all others, I come to you. And so again, it, we come here today expressing our humility and our reverence and our love and our hope. Our hope. I hear the politicians, uh, I don't even want to go there, but let me tell you something. There's only one person in one place that there's ultimate and final and real and permanent hope. We're reminded of it right here. We're reminded of it right here. Okay? We experience it in some way afresh and anew as we hear from this book and we eat that which Jesus has invited us to eat and drink. We're reminded of the certainty that we have chosen wisely. That is, we have discerned the body and the blood. We know in whom we have believed. And so, there is certainty and there is reality of our forgiveness that, that we identify exactly as the woman. My sins. And I say this for Tim Evans. My sins, which are many. Are many. They're complicated. They're ugly. They're embarrassing. Yes, indeed, they're stupid. Yeah. And more. But I have been invited into the presence of the Holy One of Israel. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty. If it weren't for what is represented in these little trays on this table. Not in the trays and not in what's in them, but in the reality of what they represent. If it wasn't for that, when I came into the presence of the One who is holy, 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 I would be destroyed. I would be destroyed. Because my sins... Are many. And so we are thankful for that forgiveness. And so we, like this woman of old, we come with humility, we come with reverence, we come with an attitude of worship, we come in anticipation of joy and peace. And we come in the experience of the reality that He has forgiven our sins and has instructed us to go in peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the great reality of Your forgiveness, for the testimony of Your Word, now the testimony of these very, very simple elements as we come to this time of communion, of table fellowship, of the reception of that which we call the Lord's Supper. Would you be glorified in all of these things? And again, would our lives be radically changed? That we would leave here and say, I'll never be the same again. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.